Happy Tuesday, everybody, as always. This is a big deal. We This is the 25th episode that we've done of the uh, Making the Brand podcast. I'm having a blast uh, putting these together, and it would not be possible, or I should say it would be significantly less fun if I were just sort of talking to myself here. So I really appreciate uh, you all listening. Uh, I appreciate all of the support. I appreciate uh, anyone reaching out and telling me, oh, I learned this. I like this. You should ask this more. Um, you know, uh, I really love it all. So thank you so much. We made it 25 episodes. Uh, and it appears from the metrics that when people start listening, they continue to listen. So that makes me super happy because hopefully it means people are finding value uh, or entertainment in the show. Uh, I appreciate it as always. Thank you so much. Rate and subscribe. Love you. You know, and that was something that I didn't quite understand totally until I started actually watching a bank account <laughs> right. go. Because right. the thing is, is that we didn't know that we were going to grow so fast the first year. And I thought that, you know, $400,000 was going to be right. plenty of money. But if you want to make over a million dollars, that's definitely not enough money. Sure. Welcome everybody to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I work in early stage venture capital. And on this show, we're gonna be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we talk to Debbie Way Mullen, founder and CEO of Copper Cow Coffee. She teaches us about transitioning her business from the conventional retail world into the DTC world. So uh, today on the show, we have Debbie Way Mullen, a very special guest, the founder and CEO of Copper Cow Coffee. Um, Debbie, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So we're doing something a little different today. We are going to, she's brought a demo of the product. Uh, so I get to try Copper Cow Coffee before we start talking about it. Maybe a high risk proposition, but I think it's going to be delicious. <laughs> um, so Debbie, I guess to start, just so they have something to visualize, can you give a quick sort of 30 second version of what it is that Copper Cow is. So we're a Vietnamese specialty coffee company and our trademark product, our best selling product is a portable pour over. So it's a little individual filter that fits over any cup that's filled with organic coffee. So you can make a perfect pour over anywhere. So it just opens up like that. And then as you can see, I'm just pouring hot water right into there and you'll have a fresh cup of coffee in about a minute. So for those of you, all of you that are not seeing this, this is really a delightful experience. It's, it's visualize um, a sort of tea bag filled with ground coffee beans hooked onto the top of your mug or your cup, and she's pouring hot water over it so you get to do your own sort of personal drip coffee. Uh, I mean, personal pour over coffee. Uh, so now we're letting it settle down. And the branding is beautiful. I am already recommending the product. I haven't even tasted it yet. <laughs> That's the idea is that you'll see it on Instagram and want to try it even if you haven't tasted it yet. But then once you taste it, you'll come back for more because we do a ton of focus on our, our sourcing of beans. We're the first people to import organic beans to, from Vietnam. And so we do a lot to teach the farmers about sustainability, about high-end coffee cultivation. So we pay them twice market rates to make sure that all those standards are met. 
And what are you doing right now? So you, there's a little white bag that comes with the coffee, it looks like. Yeah, so I get rid of the filter once the coffee is brewed. Okay. And then I have a single serving of sweetened condensed milk here. So this is liquid milk and sugar, no additives or preservatives. And I can just open it up and squeeze it right into the coffee. So this is the equivalent of those cans of condensed milk, but better for you. Exactly. But okay. it's, it's like a really all-natural version, and it's a single serving, so you don't have to open up a whole can and then drink a can of condensed milk, you can have just um, two ounces of it, which and is what this that, is. is that the feature that makes it truly Vietnamese style coffee? Or is the coffee, is it Vietnamese coffee because it's beans from Vietnam? It's both. Okay. For us, we, we define it both ways. Because for instance, I drink it black every day. Okay. But, um, but it's really nice. So before I start in, you can try it sure. black too. Okay. <laughs> okay. It tastes great. Okay, and so then now you can tr taste it with the sweetened condensed milk, which is most Americans drink their coffee with milk and sugar. I'm a, I'm a milk and sugar <laughs> guy, so this is gonna, yeah, this is gonna be great. There you go. Okay, thank you. And then, listeners, I promise we're gonna talk, interview. <laughs> the interview will start at some point after I'm. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> and I get to do some, uh, what is it called? ASMR. What's the, there, there's like a whole YouTube industry of um, just making like pleasant sounds into the <laughs> microphone. I forget. I think it's, <laughs> hey guys, it, this is me drinking coffee. Oh yeah, that's that good. That sounds really soothing. Yeah. Oh, so soothing. <laughs> Copper cow. Everyone go to the website, get a five pack. <laughs> oh man. It's worth it. This is really good coffee. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, we know what, what you make. Yeah. How did you get into the coffee business? Um, so, I got up into it kind of in a roundabout way. Um, so, I've always been really passionate about su supply chain, sustainable development, and actually had a career at the World Bank before I started this company and was kind of starved for creativity and just generally didn't fit in in the big company culture. Um, and so I decided to try out some side hustles and actually started off with a Vietnamese cooking line on the side and would literally rent a commercial kitchen in the evenings and weekends and make products and sell them into stores. And what I originally sold and got into several regions of Whole Foods and a lot of my favorite stores like Dean and DeLuca and was kind of beginning to go a little crazy as demand rose and I was still making it myself and I was still working full time at the World Bank. And something that had always encouraged me was my brother-in-law is an entrepreneur and he was the one who was the first to actually kind of recognize that I was more entrepreneurial than someone who should be working at the World Bank. And finally, after he saw me kind of hustling so hard, I think it was actually after this period where I did this big weekend show. I remember we made $20,000 in one weekend. And he heard that. On the cook line or on, on the, Copper Cow? On the cook line. On the cook on line. The cook line. Yeah. And this was about five years ago. So this is before people were really comfortable with buying food online. And when you say cook line, what exactly were the products? It was a product. It's a product line called Way Pantry. Okay. Um, it's oils and vinegars for you to make Vietnamese food at home. And so we were, it was, it was doing really well in a really small space. Um, and my brother-in-law wrote me a check and said, I think you should quit your job and you should just tell me what terms you want for this check. And I was really confused about 
what that meant. I had to remember I had to literally Google like what terms meant for an investment and went and talked to some people who also were food entrepreneurs about what kind of terms would be appropriate for where I was at and ended up having him and then a few other friends and family invest. Um, and then we went on, I went on for a few more months with the oil and vinegar line. But once I began to really hone in on talking to my accounts about, you know, how do I get this to sell more? You know, they were saying it sells great for the category. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really do a lot of research about the market size of what I was addressing and realized that only 10% of Americans cook, let alone someone who's going to try a whole new type of product line. So it was just a really, really small category. But I felt like from the press we got written up in, I mean, we had been written up in the New York Times, we were in really great key accounts, that people were really enthused by a Vietnamese elevated product line. It just had to be something that was more accessible. And I had lots of other different products in mind that I was thinking of. And Vietnamese coffee was totally top of that list, too. So I began to search for an all-natural Vietnamese coffee source as well as a really fun way to kind of introduce it to Americans. And that's how I came up with the Copper Cow coffee line. And how much roughly did you raise for the oil and vinegar business? So I just raised about um, $200,000 at okay. first for that. Um, and then, but quickly realized that I wanted to do the coffee line. And when I decided to do that, I actually raised an additional two fifty. dollars Were your existing supporters supportive of the transition? Totally. They were just like, hey, look, you have a better sense of the market than we do. Go Exactly. Because they were all tech entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, it, for them, they were like, we think you're really... You're, you're really smart. Sure. You, you know this better than us. We think you're really hardworking. You know, I had a lot of old coworkers who knew that I was just a total workhorse invest. Yeah. You know, so they were just kind of like, if you think it's better, there was nobody that pushed back on that for sure. Yeah, that's great. And the, yeah. and was it months into after the investment or was it a year after the investment? It was months into okay. the investment. So because, it was soon. Yeah. As soon as I began to really, as soon as I went full time onto it, when I started to do the math of even if we got into every Whole Foods, even if we got into every, you know, natural grocer, right. the sale through on an oil slow. and is just really slow. Right. It's not, it's not going to be a venture backable business. Right. Yeah. And how did you call, so, and before it was called Way, what, how did you come up with the name Copper Cow? Um, so I actually just had a real, a real good vision of what I wanted the brand to look like. Mm. And one of the things I knew was that I wanted to have this copper cow logo. I was like, (laughs) I wanted to have this super minimalist, modern cow logo. And, you know, cause Cowgirl Creamery, I don't know if you know it. Yeah, it was a big, exactly. It was a big inspiration for me. And I just loved how they had this like really clean silhouette. I knew that I didn't want to have, I wanted to have less of a farmhouse vibe and Uh more of a modern um, kind of millennial vibe, but I loved the simplicity of -hmm. what they did. And I also thought that copper was just such a wonderful way when I was picturing things in retail for it to really pop on the shelf. Having a foil cover. Exactly. That, That the brand colors would be copper, white and black to really show how much effort we put into the minimalism of the product as well as the ingredients. And and so we I had a designer help me with the logo and then she just started calling it Copper Cow Coffee. Because you said, I want a <laughs> I Copper Cow I was like, it's going to be this Copper Cow logo. And then, um, yeah, so then we started, we, we started calling it that and it was really catchy for us. So we thought if it's catchy for us, it's going to be catchy to other people. Okay, so you're called Copper Cow Coffee, you're selling Vietnamese coffee, and you're off to the races. What what were the first few months like? So was it, had you already sourced the beans, and then you were just sort of like figuring out the packaging and where to sell it and how to sell it? 
or t- talk a little bit about how physically you got started when you were making the transition. Yeah, so so I started as soon a few months into after raising money, I decided that I wanted to do the coffee line and I actually this was when cold brew was really kind of taking off and I actually wanted to do a cold brew Vietnamese coffee, mm-hmm. but I found that coffee was really stable and sweetened condensed milk is really stable, but if you put them together, it basically would just taste like those frappuccino ready-to-drink beverages. Right. And, and you'd have to refrigerate it, probably. And you put a lot of chemicals in it. Right. Like, it just wasn't what we were trying to do as a company, which mm-hmm. is create something that was totally all-natural. And um, I was really frustrated. And I remember we had bought a booth at the Fancy Food Show mm-hmm. to kind of test out how people would think about it. And we, I was having, I had t- t- done test runs with tons of factories and nothing was working out to something that I was proud of. And my supplier um, and I kind of, I saw something similar to our product that they were selling to a client in Japan. The format that we sell is actually um, common in Japan. Okay. And so we came up with our own version and I thought this is a perfect way for you to keep the milk and coffee separate. Mm -hmm. And I really, uh, my favorite trend at the time was pour over. Yeah. And I felt like that was going to be the next thing. And so we decided, you know, we had, we bought this booth. You know, we might as well have something like literally we had the prototypes arrive like the day before we only had 20 of them and and showed them at the booth. By the end, we ended up with like seven. We were like, people yeah. kept trying to walk off with them. Yeah. We were like, no, no we, don't take those. No, seriously. <laughs> uh, no, we're a real don't. company, but don't, don't, don't. <laughs> just leave it. It's a uh, display. Yeah. And so, so we, we ended up being chosen as a top innovation of the show and got into over 1500 retailers, um, basically that month. So you would just hit the ground running. Yeah. So we, and we, I was actually planning on it really being an e-com company and this would just be a, a place for feedback. Yep. But instead we were like, we have to just figure out how to fulfill Williams-Sonoma and Cost Plus and all these great retailers that we were getting into. How did you do that? Did you stick with that? The, the, the shipment you got the day before the fancy food show, did you stick with that formula or did you make some more changes before you brought it to we, market? We ended up making, making a few changes just to en- enhance a uh, shelf life. Right. Um, but, but. Ultimately, we used the same exact product. We still use the same formula today because it's a really great, the, the taste of it I'm really proud of and I see us really being true to that. But we did try to do things to make sure that it would have a good shelf life. And what's nice about retail is that we did have a few months to prepare um, and get everything produced in time, though it was still still pretty stressful. And at that point, did you did your packaging look like this? Was it? Were you pretty much like, hey... Uh, product complete like let's just get it out there <laughs> no no we, we made a lot of mistakes the, fir- okay. the first round of packaging we made it pretty bespoke so what you see here we do a lot of things like we have photos on the box you can see yeah. exactly what's inside we have cutouts so you can see that there are both pouches for coffee and then we even have something that says like there's sweet you can actually touch and feel that it's liquid creamer yeah um, we've made the box really interactive um, at first it was just a beautiful box and I, I'll never forget like standing in Whole Foods and just stocking the aisles and watching people, watching 95% of people pick up the box, look at it and put it right back down because they were so confused. We had these really bespoke illustrations for how to use it. No pictures. You know, we just had made this beautiful box that people were clearly interested in, but didn't quite understand what it was. So you so you came up with a little bit more of a functional packaging while keeping the minimalism and uh, listeners I can't oversell how beautiful the packaging is <laughs> Thank and you. and it really it does look functional. There's a little hole in the cutout. I know you guys like when I just describe things and you can't see them, <laughs> but I recommend looking it up if nothing else to see the packaging. And so you had so William Sonoma and a few other retailers mm-hmm. started to sell it. Right. 
And Mm -hmm. then what was your day-to-day looking like at that point? The day-to-day was a lot of just trying to make sure that everything was going to come on time, as well as trying to get our first pieces of more pieces of PR and also to begin to think about um, how we could build our online presence. Um, and so because we, we created an online store, and I'll never forget how the first year we sold we could have sold so much better and retained customers so much better, but we were running around trying to fulfill all these stores, not knowing also like once they order their first order, how, when's, how quickly will they order their next order? Yeah. You know, some would order right away and have been amazing accounts that are still growing today. And some ordered once and we still don't know why that account went wrong. Right. And that was really the turning point for when I wanted to kind of go away from retail and figure out a better way for me to understand my customer through e-commerce. Because we we got some really great pieces of of press our first year. Like we got written up in BuzzFeed and in um, the Wall Street Journal. And to see the uptick in what happened on e-commerce and for us to have just been better prepared to really engage the customer there was something that I knew I wanted to change. And you sort of backed into this um, in the opposite direction that most people do in, in sort of today's new world of brands where... A lot of them start with the direct-to-consumer and then use that as leverage to get into the big accounts. Right. You got into the big accounts day day 90 or whatever day, you know, very early on. And how do you, you get into 1,500 stores. How are you marketing? This is sort of backwards. We'll get into the direct-to-consumer thing later, but... How are you marketing those things locally? Are you just hoping your package jumps off the shelf or are you doing any local marketing in these markets where there are Williams-Sonoma, where there are uh, Walmart and a handful of other stores? So for the first, before we um, were able to raise more money, we actually were so bootstrapped that we spent no money on marketing. Okay. So the, the money that was spent on marketing was essentially, like you said, just having a really beautiful box. Um, and so that was something that was also really frustrating was that there wasn't really a way for us to... Um, you know, really engage the customer and for them to really understand what the product was with such minimal real estate, which is just basically, you know, the four sides of the box. Right. And that is, and then, so now, now more recently you've moved, okay, we have these accounts, we have some sell through, we have customers buying these things, Mm -hmm. they're readily available. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we nail down direct to consumer? So how are you having success or where are you finding success marketing online? So online has been it's definitely the fastest growing channel for us for the past six months. Um, we've been able to grow a really awesome e-com team. So we just hired um, a, direct, a head of growth from MeUndies. We just hired um, a COO with a great e-commerce background from fab.com. And for us to really be able to focus on that being the backbone of the company, because what's so great and what the investors that we have recognized was that, you know, if I could do this all over again, people ask me what I do D to C or what I do, right. you know, retail first. And I, I know that I would still do it the way I did because this real estate that we have, you know, having 3000 doors that we're in right now, while we start spending all this money on marketing, it's, it's a really incredible a- asset that we have that a lot of D to C brands struggle with later on. Right. Um, but, yeah. And you have these big accounts that are selling that in the background while you right. get to focus a little bit on who are our customers why do are they buying it and rebuying it if so why if not why not are you finding this is just for my personal curiosity is it the branding looks about split down the middle in terms of gender 
is are you finding your demo is 50 50 or i think a lot of coffee companies are probably skew male yeah what are you finding um so we're about 60 40 female skew yeah. skew oh wow yeah and that's because i think that one of the opportunities that we're really finding is that almost all coffee companies do market to men sure i mean honestly i think they're all marketed to like a white bearded hipster man i, I mean they're ca- it's called brew yeah. at this point right cold brew it's yeah. like brew is very like oh let me get exactly. my brew exactly exactly and you know while and, and, you know, women drink coffee pretty much just as much as men right. do. And there's not really a great coffee company that markets to women. Right. And so that's something that we think is a huge advantage for us is that we do know that our brand speaks to women. As you can see, we have a big call out on the box um, saying women owned. Oh, And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's incredible to see what it's done for sell through. People really respond to it. I'd say it's the number one thing that people tag when they um, with or hashtag when they put a post about us on Instagram. Yeah. They're so excited by that because we're the only nationally distributed women-owned coffee company in the country. That's pretty great. Yeah. And do you, when you, the, something I didn't mention is when you got started, were you alone when you raised the money? I was, yeah. And when did you hire your first person? I hired the first person right after I finished, uh, right after I decided to launch the coffee line. Okay. So when I was getting ready to, to gear up after we had kind of gotten the brand standards down and we just really needed to get the product finalized yeah. right before that, that fancy food show. And have you, is that person still with you? Um, unfortunately not. Okay. No. Yeah. How big is your team now? So now we're, we're four people, including myself. So that's the craziest <laughs> thing about this business is it's four people and they're running this business so efficiently and they're in thousands of retail stores. They're selling a ton direct to consumer. And that's, is there any, uh, is, what's your thinking behind sort of hiring very slowly? They say to hire slow and fire fast. But yeah. like, are you, it seems like you could hire a bigger team with the business that you're doing. Are you just feeling like, hey, we're not going to hire another person until we absolutely can't do it ourselves? <laughs> what is your methodology there? That's a really good question. I, I totally believe in the hire slow, fire fast. We definitely could use more people, but instead of hi- me hiring, we're, we're, we would like to be about around 10 people mm-hmm. pretty soon. But instead of me hiring you know, seven people on my own or eight people on my own, I hired two really senior people who started this month, and I really want them to be involved and thinking about the team because mm-hmm. I, I I see the next hires really being all around marketing you know we I'm really proud of, of the supply chain we have it can be optimized but the beauty of our product is that it is really simple mm-hmm. and really when I see look at a lot of the DDC brands that I love like Billy Razors or Function of Beauty or all of these great brands you know they have a lot of great marketing around a really simple product mm-hmm. and I think that that's really kind of getting that marketing team in place and I think it's something that's kind of an art more right. than just being like, okay, make sure that you hire someone for customer service and make sure you hire someone right. to be in charge of fulfillment. Like that's something I can do all day. You yeah. know, um, that's a really easy thing to hire versus people where like, who's, who's going to think about exactly what we're going to post on Instagram right. and how exactly we're going to do uh, the content for Facebook ads and um, exactly what our, our first pop-ups are going to look like this year. Right. You know, that's a, that's a real artful team to, to create. Yeah. A brand, uh, fundamentally as trust and you, needing to find people you trust your brand with exactly like, hey, these are team members who not only like the product not only have the skill set we need mm-hmm. but also i don't have i i don't have to worry about them in terms of they're going to represent our brand right whether that's something they post personally whether that's something they post on their through the copper cow account yeah. whether that's 
I don't need to handhold them because I see that they see what we're about. Yeah. And that's the hardest, I mean, that's like probably the hardest cultural thing for companies, for founders of companies in hiring is like, when do I, you know, at what point do I not need to hold your hand anymore and can just trust you to do your thing. Totally. Because I think that also someone will do their job better that way when they feel entrusted like that, when they feel empowered, when they feel like they got to choose, you know, who the team is and and exactly and be really part of the voice. Because at the end of the day, like Copper Cow is just the four of us. What are the what are the four roles right now? So we have someone who does all the fulfillment and customer service. That's that's the girl who's been with me for a while. Okay. And then we have the head of growth from Meundies, and then we have the COO from from Fab.com. Got it. Mm -hmm. So uh, you mentioned pop ups. Have you done any pop ups? Um, No, which we're really really excited about because I think that uh, some Copper Cow cafes are something that we would love to have in the future. Um, So kind of beginning to test out those concepts. We're we're looking at some spaces in LA now. Or like a food truck. I could see it. I could see this going in a number of ways, but I think a cafe, permanent or temporary, would make a ton of sense. Yeah, totally. The coffee is good. I've continued to drink it through the <laughs> through the podcast, but it t- it's really great. I don't know. Um, I'm not the best. Uh, I'm not a som in terms of my ability to explain flavors, but it's good. It's good. So, you know, it, uh, Billy approved. Uh, five stars. Fabulous. Um, you'll have to try it on your own. And can you buy the coffee? Do you, do you have to buy the coffee with the creamer or do people prefer to buy it with the creamer or can you buy it just the coffee? We sell them separately. Okay. You know, and so we, we find that most people buy both. About okay. 80% of our businesses are products that have both 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 the coffee yeah. and creamer. But actually, people buy the coffee alone just as much as people buy the creamer alone. People love the creamer. I can understand why. It's delicious. <laughs> it can go in tea. Um, yeah. And I think it's people just really, it's, it's a really, it's the only all natural shelf stable creamer on the market. How shelf stable is it? How long does your product last? Um, over a year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and what do you see as the future? So we talked about pop-ups. What do you see as sort of the future of Copper Cow? What would you, what, you know, whether it's product lines, whether it's what kind of outcome you want to see, how do you see this business? What does this business look like in five years? So the process, the, the most eminent change with the business is that with the focus of e-com, we're going to really focus on a subscription model where the single serving format is so wonderful for you to be able to get a month's supply of coffee and be able to try all different types of coffee as opposed to committing to a whole bag of new coffee, right? And definitely not something like a K-cup, which is super wasteful and a mm-hmm. terrible brew of coffee. So for instance, like we, so the subscription box that we've launched every month, you get to try a different flavor. This month is a lavender latte where there's fresh lavender buds in the pour over and it makes a beautiful cup of coffee i've left some for you here oh, to thank try you. yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah, uh, lavender and coffee is not something i think about i think about lavender and tea but yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a, a, la- a lavender latte back to the <laughs> back to the pleasant audio sounds yeah it's really nice and we have other flavors coming on board we're coming out with a vegan coconut creamer which okay. is really exciting um so the idea that i think subscription is the most exciting because there's not somebody out there really doing an awesome coffee subscription that anybody could do because not everybody wants to grind their beans every day. There's obviously lots of wonderful roasters who have subscription products. Um, And then there's also probably some K-cup subscriptions out there. But this is something where you don't need 
a, a ugly machine on your counter right. to use it. You just need hot water. You don't need to be a barista. You don't need to have a grinder. It's right. just it's everything you need. We've we've done everything for you, and yeah. you're able to get the product that you love and try something every month that's new. And so I think that's that's going to be something that I see being the core of the business um, within this next year and definitely five years from now. And you give them one cup of the new thing or a few cups of the new thing? A few cups. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think of, I'm trying to think about, um, I always think about in the wine business, like there are, there are a lot of wine subscriptions, right? Right. And what's interesting is like, if those wine subscri- subscriptions are effective, they're sort of putting them, themselves out of business in a way, because we're going to serve you, we're going to send you three bottles of wine every month that we think you're going to like. At a certain point, you're like, I really like this bottle. Yeah. And so I'm just going to stop this and yeah. buy, keep buying this. Yeah. And so it's a delicate balance where you want to provide the discovery right. like you're doing with, hey, here's a new product every couple months or every month and here's a new flavor. But for coffee especially, people just want the coffee that they use. Yeah. And, and I think there are there are a handful of companies in the coffee space that are, we're going to send you a new bag of beans every month. It's like, okay, if that's effective, I'm going to stop using you. I'm just going to go get the beans. Whereas if you're offering, we're going to give you the product you love every month, plus the option to try something new, you sort of get to keep that balance. Right. And I think that's what's so... I think that ha- have you started the subscriptions yet? Yeah. So we we kind of soft launched it on our website um, about last month and put it just kind of hit it on the website and we've been we've been blown away that it's already fifteen percent of business without even us trying to redirect everybody, which yeah. is what we're gonna do starting next month. And that's gonna be when we are able to offer some really great promos and everything to start getting a lot of people on board and seeing seeing how to optimize the product for people. Do you save money? Do they have to commit to a certain amount of months on the on the subscription or do they just how does that charge work? How much does it cost to subscribe? And then how is that different from them just buying a box every month? Um, just that you would be put on the automatic plan. But, you know, something that, that we really realized is that we did a, you know, it was a very like minimum viable product when right. we put it on the website. And it was really good for us to see that we kind of made everyone opt into the every month delivery. And not everyone makes coffee every day. You know, even yeah. though they make they make coffee every week and they drink it every day, sure. they might be getting coffee already made at their office. They might be going out to cafes. So for us, we know that we should really do a quiz mm-hmm. asking people about their coffee behavior and then um, recommending the Timing. the frequency. Exactly. Yeah. And how that's going to make a really big difference because you never want someone to be sick of it. No. You know, you never want someone to be like, oh, well, I've been I've been travel, I've been traveling or, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to make the sure. coffee. And so you don't want it to ever pile up. And so having people be able to have it 20, 20 coffees, 30 coffees every every uh, yeah. 60 days would be much more effective. That's the other thing we have sometimes, my wife and I have had had trouble with on the subscription side is like, we'll sign up for something we're very excited about and then it piles up and we can't meet the frequency or we can't, we'd prefer to do it every two months instead of every month. And little things like that, like the timing and the frequency is so important to whether someone churns or not. Exactly. And if, you know, in a number of these, you know, five years ago or Four years ago, there was a big sort of subscription economy boom yeah. where you could get all these things sent to you month over month. And it's like you 
you start to when you never want them to pile up. You want it to come just never. at the right time. Exactly that, and that, that's that's what you want. You don't want to upsell someone something that they don't want. You no. don't want to push it onto them. Sure. You know, and so that's the thing that was a big learning for us to see. It. It's something that I did notice when I signed up for a lot of um, really awesome subscription companies is how they ask me about my frequency of use of the product, and then right. they purposely recommend me something that you know, like it's great when I'm like, I really need a new razor, and right. it like arrives that day is like an amazing feeling that, right. that they totally accomplished you know yeah and razor is a case where i try to make the razor blade last as long as physically <laughs> possible until i switch it out and so i think there are with coffee where i think products where you get to work them into a daily habit or a daily routine or you get to provide them a better ui in your case like a better user interface or a better customer experience into something they already do mm-hmm. it's just and then if you f- can figure out the timing where they're not piling up boxes of copper cow which it sounds like you are that's i think that's a really exciting business what um a little bit more about challenges so when you think about what uh it sounds like things have worked out really well um for the most part which is great and like sometimes that's the case you find a product you find a market and you go hit it when you think about like nights where you lost sleep what did those days look like Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that I lost a lot of sleep during the bootstrap phase. Okay. You know, watching, you know, because I, I think that's what's, it was a, a total education in how if you want to sell something, if you want to grow 10x, that means you need at least half of the money of that revenue right. today. Right. You know, and that was something that I didn't quite understand totally until I started actually watching a bank account <laughs> right. go. Because right. the thing is, is that we didn't know that we were going to grow so fast the first year. And I thought that, you know, $400,000 was going to be right. plenty of money. But if you want to make over a million dollars, that's definitely not enough money sure. <laughs> to start off, especially if you're paying people, you know, you, yeah. you've got to, this overhead of people, even though I only uh, we kept, that's why we had to keep it so lean of just, you know, one employee. And then in, and your inventory. Yeah, right? that's the thing. Inventory, I mean, let alone like all the things that happen that you don't expect that will, you know, like we, when we sold too quickly into people were reordering faster than we thought they would for the stores, we had to air freight things from Asia, you know, and you know, and that, that's just like something that I'll never forget that feeling of just burnt, feeling like I was just just like taking stacks of money money and and burning them. Yeah. (laughs) Oh God. It was so terrible. And I think that, um, the other thing that was hard was, was hiring for sure, you know, um, in a really tight space of like, e-com hiring I Mm -hmm. think that it was because I I definitely didn't key up people before I started fundraising which Mm -hmm. is something that I would totally change next time that I would have every the whole team basically in place that I was going to have before I would go raise money because people were like hey you're solo yeah and I think yeah yeah, what what are you doing I think that I couldn't even bring myself to do it to be like hi I know I just took the bus here right yeah so so bootstrapped but I think that you should come and be COO versus it's much easier when you're venture backed and and everything so it I feel like I I had to be a little bit stressed about exactly what the team was going to look like even though we had the money yeah um so I think that that was something that was really stressful and which is why it makes but it's nice because these things just make you so grateful for when you have them you know like you're so grateful when you've got that like partners that can provide capital for you you're so grateful when you have amazing people that provide skill sets that you need so much or that allow you to focus on the things that are more important for you to to do well and the great thing about your hires that you've made pre-capital or pre-things working is like 
they're going to grind it out with you in good and in bad. Yes. Versus sometimes when you go and raise a big round or sometimes when things are working, you're going to get a particular kind of hire that is excited about the thing working. Totally. And you don't know um, how it looks at war. Yeah. When things aren't. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And so you've worked on the low end of the wave and the high end of the wave and... Again, there's a huge advantage to that. It it was harder for you to find people initially, mm-hmm. but then you're not hiring people who just go to the most recent venture backed company and kind of like and then flee to the next one. Yeah. Um, so there could be some advantage in that. Uh, okay, now let's talk about some fun stuff. So, <clears throat> if you oh, one more question before fun stuff, when and I'm sure entrepreneurs have started to ask you for advice and and talk to you about how you got started and. So if you were looking back two years, you've done a lot. Is it Has it been two years? Two years, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So if you had, you just gave a little piece of advice about what you would do if you had done it all over again. When an entrepreneur says, hey, I'm just starting my business in the consumer space or elsewhere, what piece of advice would you give them? Or what piece of advice do you wish you had had two years ago? Um, I think that the biggest advice, and this kind of ties to what I was talking about with being able to you know, pitch people to work for you even before you have the money in the bank is to, is that if you're really doing this to just have the confidence to know that you're going to do this, you know, I, I, you know, I look back at the past, um, you know, it's kind of, even though we've been only doing, I've only been doing copper cow for two years, I've been kind of grinding it out in the CPG space for about four years and, um, looking at that and thinking about how every single time I said I was going to do something, I've done it and about how it took, it took four years before now I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I need to make, I need to be confident about that in the, in the way that I make decisions. I can't always be being prepared for, you know, the black clouds, even though I think that there's, there's some strength in that, but I think about, especially for female entrepreneurs, I think, and first time entrepreneurs, I think that that's something to just really believe that you're If you, if your product is working, you're going to find the capital. If you're, if you, if you, if you can find the capital, you're going to find the talent, you know, like, and just to be really confident that if you're willing to do the work and you really know that your product is good and what you're doing is good and that you can build it. Like I just would have had, I would just have been much more confident going in so that I could have made decisions um, for growth, if that right. makes sense, you know, as opposed to always being like, well, what's going to happen if no one, if no one buys it, right. you know, is I think something that you're always, you're always afraid of. And I think that I wish that I had doubled down in different ways, like quit my job earlier or done right. things like that. You know, I think that if this is something you want to do, I, I remember actually at one, there's been several times when I've wavered about things and my brother-in-law, who's one of my greatest mentors yeah. always says, he's like, are you doing this or are you not? Yeah. Like it's something he loves to say to me. Shouts to your brother-in-law. <laughs> oh my that God. Awesome. I know he's, he's, he's everyone's mentor. He's amazing. Uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think this is, so this is incredible advice and it brings up a, a bigger point, which is a lot of business is an arbitrage between short-term and long-term thinking, right? Yes. It's like, Hey, we, you need, there's the thing you need in the near term, but you also need it to work for the long term. And sometimes those things are at odds. Right. And I think being able to think with, to your point about, I'm going to do this, step one. Yeah. People would be lucky to invest in this. People would be totally. lucky to to work here. Totally. Um, if you work under that, that's the hardest thing for any entrepreneur to overcome is like, and sometimes they're too good at it. Sometimes they're like, overly confident which is totally. just as much of an issue <laughs> yeah totally. but a lot of times they they shouldn't it's 
in some ways, like you shouldn't go out to raise the money or to hire the person until you feel personally, you feel internally like, God, I'm going to do something like transformative here. And if I can't convince myself of that, maybe I shouldn't do it. But if I can, yeah, just believe it. Just assume things are going to work out. Assume Mm -hmm. the glass is half full. Yeah. And and then the rest is much more likely because people will feel that energy, right? Yeah. It's the rest is much more likely. Um, there's a you know in venture capital, it's always you you get a sense of when when the thing is just bursting out of the person's chest. Yes. When it's just like they're doing it wrong, and we're we're just I found a way to do it better, and here's yeah. why, and here's why it just doesn't work. And when they get really fired up like that, it's so exciting because they bring the excitement to everyone. Totally. Versus like you know, oh, but this, and I'm not sure. And, you know, it's it's noticeable in how you present your own personal brand and how you talk about your company. And totally. When it presents itself everywhere. So that's awesome advice. Um, I, I hope people will appreciate that for sure. When you're going to set your mind to something, get excited about it. And there's a reason you're excited about it and go do it because you're, you know, I think you're going to be able to. So, um, okay, the fun ones that I ask everyone are... If you could choose anyone in the world, you have a 30-second or a 60-second Super Bowl ad, and you can choose anyone in the world to represent Copper Cow Coffee, who would it be and why? Oh, that is a really good one. Is there any, like, maybe it's a small-time influencer somewhere. Maybe it's someone, maybe it's your brother-in-law. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) like... It could be he just is could, like yelling at people. Yeah, yeah. You can do it. It's it could be a cow. It could be you know, there could be there are also there's no right answer here. We've had we've had every answer from George Clooney to Michelle yeah. Obama to uh in in a recent one they said Rob Kardashian, which was the most bizarre. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want that, but uh is there anyone in mind who you think like that's our target customer, that's someone who can work with our target customer? That, that is a good question. If I could pick anybody like off the top of my head, the emotional response I have, and this is something that we've like been joking about is that well, so a lot of our customers were we also skew heavily Asian. Okay. So because it's Vietnamese coffee, sure. um, because of the founder story, we know that this brand really speaks to Asian Americans. You know, yeah. you know, Boba Guys was a huge influence for us to see how, the appetite for that. Um, yeah. And so something that I think would be really fun is to have like Aquafina oh, and have yeah. her and have her just dressed up super dapper. Yeah. You know, like minimalist, yeah. like modern clothing, kind of with the brand, and just have her do something like really sleek but kind of funny with yeah, the brand. Like, yeah, that'd be a great. I think yeah. it would be super fun. Yeah, she she has she also just has mass appeal. Totally. Like she's funny, but she exactly. can play straight, but she can play smart. You know, it's like yeah. a good that's a great one. She's she is who she is and she's a hybrid of things, just right. kinda like Copper Cow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um and then what's something on your bucket list? Business wise or other most not business wise, like personal. Personal. Um something I've always wanted to do is um the this the Siberia the Trans Siberian Railway. Oh, awesome! Um, from China to Russia. Yeah, that's I, I've done I've done a part of it and it was finally and it was really epic and I would love to do the three week journey by rail doing that. Good, do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to find three weeks that's of like part. not having constant internet, but but, <laughs> but people have. I think there are so too many bucket lists that go unfulfilled, and we're always looking for reasons to. 
put it all, you know, oh, I should be doing work. I should be doing this. And sometimes it's worth it. You know, it could be in a year. It could be in five. It could be in seven years. But like, yeah. you should do that at some point. Especially for sure. Something for sure. About. Um, other than that, is there anything, is there anything you want to plug? No, I feel like we got a good chance to talk about the subscription product, which we're most excited about. And then also, I, I really can't emphasize enough. I wish I had brought it for you. The, the coconut creamer okay. is like absolutely I'll, I'll buy incredible. It. I'll buy it when it comes out. <laughs> okay. Is the, yeah. is, and then Twitter, your copper cow coffee. I mean, Instagram, your copper cow coffee. Yeah, same with Twitter. Same with Twitter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at copper cow coffee. And is it coppercowcoffee.com? Yes. Okay. So everyone check it out. If nothing else, to see the beautiful copper packaging. Um, but order some, it's really delicious and it's unique and I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and this was delightful. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening um, to if you haven't already, please rate and subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you choose uh, and check out all the episodes on makingthebrand.co. Uh, to hear some interviews that we have done in the past, and I will continue to update them in the future. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks again, season two. We are off to the races. Love you all.